Hello, I'm Claire from Wild Ginger Running, the trail and ultra running YouTube channel. And this is the podcast version of my weekly live chat with an athlete, coach or other running expert. The link to the original film on YouTube is in the show notes. Check out my Instagram and YouTube channel for more training advice, inspiration and gear reviews. Everything is Wild Ginger Running and my blog is wildgingerrunning.co.uk. Support me on Patreon if you enjoy this free advice at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Enjoy this podcast and see you next week for more. Good evening and welcome to Wild Ginger Running with the Scotney Takeover still happening. I'm Marcus. I'm Jen. <laughs> we don't normally do that. <laughs> well, we're just mixing it up and we've got Sherlock. You might notice we're on different sides. Um tonight oh um sorry that's just another bit of technical glitch going on that we're on different sides tonight um normally this is the way we sit on the sofa when we're watching the laptop and we noticed last few weeks sherlock has been a little bit kind of well, just, annoying yeah annoying yeah behaving like a toddler almost um so we decided to sit beside we normally sit watching tv um so we've got a great guest on tonight. Who have we got with us tonight, Jen? We have got Kim Collison. And I'm very excited because we've got absolutely loads to ask him about. I don't think there's anything that he hasn't done. I mean, I can give you a little intro, Kim. We've got a GB runner. Is it the World Mountain Championships? You've 24 hour the Lakeland record holder. You've got, I don't know, so many wins. Lakeland 50, Lakeland Trails, Arc of Attrition. You've done sky running, fell running. Absolutely loads. <laughs> Good evening, Kim. Welcome to Wild Ginger Running. And you're based up in Cumbria, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, up in the Lake District. Um, always sunny up here in the Lake District. Oh. Are you sure? <laughs> I think I've been a few times when it wasn't sunny. <laughs> in fact, I mean, I can't remember many times when it has been sunny. <laughs> no, you make the most of it when it is. <laughs> but you are quite close to the fells, aren't you? You're just off the Blencathra Hills. Yeah, I've been you know, really lucky that I literally live on the, the back of um, Blencathra, um, up Sudafell, and I'm on to Blencathra within, within an hour, um, which, which made great training for lockdown periods, being able to get on the fell straight away. Yeah, how's this? Are we on number three lockdown? How's that going for you at the moment? Oh, I, th- I think it gets slightly tougher each time. I mean... Mm. The novelty of the first one, and you, you kind of get through it quite. Well, I found I got through it quite well, but now it's just getting a little bit tedious. Um, but you know, it's the right thing to do, and I'm happy to be doing it. It, it just mentally becomes harder, I think. And when you're not running, you're a coach. That's right, isn't it? Is that your full-time job at the moment? Are you still doing some outdoor yeah, work? Yeah. No, I'm a full-time coach now, um, <laughs> like you guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Were you not doing a bit of gardening as well, right here on the grapevine? Or? Yeah, uh, probably about a year ago now, just to set up the business. I was uh, doing some part-time gardening to to coexist while I built up a, a client base. Um, and now I'm full-time coach, which is where I wanted to be. Brilliant. And what kind of athletes are you coaching? Is it primarily for the fell running or ultramarathons and mountains? Uh, primarily ultramarathons, um, whether that's uh, Bob Graham's or Arc of Attrition or um, a, a 
few thou running as well, um, but mainly mainly ultra distances. Yeah, I didn't even mention that you're the your winter Bob Graham record and you've done the summer Bob Graham. <laughs> I couldn't fit that into the intro. Yeah, we're, we're going to cover a lot of different different stuff. But ha- so how how did you end up? Are you born and bred Cumbrian, or did you end up? Have you kind of made your way up to that part of the country? No, I'm originally from Hertfordshire, um, and started off my running at Tring Running Club um, as a uh, young secondary school student so in, just got into the running at that age and then it wasn't until a period of I probably spent about five years traveling abroad that I ended up settling in Cumbria um, primarily for the outdoor education um, and the opportunities it ha- and it had to be a stunning place to keep me settled. <laughs> so, and were you running when you moved to Cumbria? Not so much. I, I'd become pretty unfit and and had lived a, a lifestyle with lots of uh, booze and um, and even smoked at that stage um, for a few years. And now, uh, and then when I moved here, that all stopped. And I, I, was, I was starting to realise I'd been quite fit when I was a younger, um, as a student, well, before student age. And I realised that I wasn't that fit anymore and was doing an orienteering event and I was huffing and puffing and getting beaten by vet 60s and thinking, this is... <laughs> um, and, and so you, you start uh, training and, and change all that. And so where did that kind of, so was that training while you were working? Because you worked for Outward Bound at Oarswater. Were you, were you running then yeah. already or was that kind of the beginning of a running? Yeah, kind of. As soon as I got back from travelling, I started to run, and and then I pretty immediately got a job at Outward Bound. I was quite lucky they were recruiting at that time. Um, in the end, I spent a decade working for the trust um, in the outdoor education, taking uh, students uh, camping, climbing, paddling, journeying, and then trying to run, bike, paddle. Uh, at that stage, uh, early on, it. Was discipline training for a wide variety I was, I was passionate about uh, adventure racing and had this big goal to, uh, you know I'd watched as a student these big races like the Raid Wars challenge on um, uh, on TV and I always wanted to do that and get to that level so it was always multi you know, from the mountain biking how can I get better uh, and so it was a wide spectrum of sports so if I wasn't working, I was pretty much training a lot of endurance. And you did get to quite a high level with adventure racing, didn't you? I didn't realise that was kind of before the running took off. Yeah. Um, I went to three separate world championships with two different teams. Um, I think one of my toughest race was the first uh, world championships I did in France in 2012, which was like a half day journey across the out of the Mediterranean um, and literally we were the last team to complete the full course within the time limit and we, we were pretty broken by the end of it. But <laughs> the reward at the end when you crossed the finish line was just uh, that set everything in motion I think for wanting more and more of that sort of challenge and, and reaching those goals. 
which just get bigger and harder or faster and improving that way. Yeah, Joe Faulkner um, has has commented saying that um, he remembers you competing in ace races with your dad when when you were sixteen years old. <laughs> so, was that what? Because that ten years ago we were talking. Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was ace races, um, sort of five hour um, or even two day um, ventures. Where it was split into five stages over those mm-hmm. two days, um, and. Uh, my dad was competitive and I think I just got it from him really really and we always were driven at that stage to do well so so I learned a lot of skills um, you know below the age of 16 so were you kind of brought up quite outdoorsy then with your dad and the kind of competitive and the running was he a runner as well uh, yeah he got into the running uh, fairly late you know, he got into the London Marathon and getting fit and then there was a, a paddling part to it. He did a lot of what was called raft racing at the stage, which was tin barrels and a frame um, down the River Wye and, and on some canals. And, uh, oh, we did that in Derbyshire. I was thinking you were going to say some high elite sport and I was like, must not open my mouth about the barrels and the planks and things, but that's okay. No, no, but it, <laughs> but it was that. So he had endurance and then that just spread into... Uh, multi-sport and the ace races came along and uh, and then there was at the club there was uh, Rick Cancel and Kevin Harding who uh, knew about the lakes and bell running and OMS and they did the OM every year and did really well so they got pulled into that direction quite easily and so I remember doing Saunders um, as a young lad as well um, and learning those navigation skills and getting that sense of things and then scouts all the time lots of courses up in the scotland um always taken to the lake district wales so you know we had lots of time as kids and and i wasn't really very good at football um, but i was very good at running so i kind of excelled in the cross country area at school and I think that sparked sparked that passion for for lifelong running. Yeah, I, I can kind of understand that being rubbish at football and preferring. To I just run. played football, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it was just me and coordination kicking a ball, coordinating running great, but trying to kick a ball in the direction where a goal is. I almost had to imagine the goal was in the other direction, then I could probably get it towards the goal. So you found yourself up in the Lake District working at Oswald and you started the running. So how then did you start the fell running first and then discover ultra running? But I suppose if you've been doing the Saunders and the mountain marathons, there was already that inclination about ultra running. How did the ultra running yeah. then come around? I guess I never really differentiated it as a separate sport. That it, um, that it just all extended into one thing. It just didn't matter about the duration of what you did. I guess my first real ultra run would be the Bob Graham, which uh, because my dad did it uh, 12 years before I did it, it was always going to be what I was going to try to emulate um, uh, his what he had done. So that was the first real big challenge I was aiming at. Um, and I always knew I would complete it. It was just how well I could complete it. Um, could I do it better than him? What, what, was your da- <laughs> what, what was your dad's time? 
doing like 23 and a half hours um, there was like four of them all going around together and um, and then they split up towards the end and they they all got it done um, you know which was wasn't bad for four guys from Hertfordshire that you know couldn't train and specifically in the mountains all the time so yeah when I came and did it it was about 19 19 hours 21 minutes <laughs> it was my time so and was your dad there? Was he able to be there and support you at that time? No, um, unfortunately, part of the reason why I was doing it is because he passed away as a 47-year-old with a heart attack. Oh, and how sad. One of those uh, things that, you know, hold in your memory and you, yeah. you try and go, these are, these are the passions. <sighs> and they're my passions as well. Um, and I'm sure you've passed that on to all the children that you've worked with over the years and your job as well. Of course, yeah. Challenge, challenge and reward. So you'd done the Bob Graham and then how do you follow that? What was next on the agenda for you? Uh, for me, yeah, I guess it became the adventure racing was more the passion and then the shorter fell racing. I was really getting into... Uh, yeah, doing racing constantly in the in the Lake District um, from one fell race to the next. But the real big goals were could I could I do in a big adventure race? Um, uh, and then then what was it? And in 2013, I got an entry to CCC, um, and then I think that sparked the the passion for ultra and actually I could be reasonably good doing ultra more than uh, adventure racing um, and yeah I think I was frustratingly 11th place and I think that's that sparked a lot of time going back to the festival always after that elusive top 10 the <laughs> <laughs> best ever so far we've got a picture up of you on the screen now which I think is from TDS um, but yeah, it looks great. Amazing. So, those who aren't aware of what CCC is, it's part of a UTMB race over based in Chamonix around Mont Blanc. Um, and CCC is the kind of the half, isn't it? It's the kind of 100k, um, so it's 60 miles, but it's still a very tough because it's a bit shorter. It tends to be a little bit faster, doesn't it? Um, uh, and the effort is a little bit harder where UTMB tends to, well, it still goes off at a crazy, crazy <laughs> pace. Say, that's really like. <laughs> the easy one <laughs> the easy, well, far from it but uh, i mean tds is pretty much the hardest one though isn't it that's kind of other than um, the, um well kim's done all three so we can ask him which he thinks is the hardest one well i think the, the terrain is harder on the the tds i mean there's a lot more um time spent on rougher rougher paths and, mm -hmm. and off paths um so i think now but it's extended in in distance it's very equatable to UTMB itself in terms of time, probably. Um, whereas UTMB is is on the the main trail and main motorway, you no. Know, although it's still a lot of ascent and a lot of descent and a long way, so they're all hard. Do you normally go over and kind of wreck it beforehand, or spend a bit of time in the Alps training for it? Do you try and get a minute preparation? Uh, yeah, varying years. I try and go across. Um, the year I 
did finish UTMB um, in 25th place. Um, was I, I spent a few weeks, a couple of weeks out there, um, trying. I like did a camping, hiking around for at least half of it, and then did some acclimatization up in some huts and just just getting used to the the altitude and being there in enough time to do that. And I think that really really helped um, having that knowledge of what to expect um, and being being prepared. Uh, and, not a have all the time yeah because because as a coach you know we can tend to work a lot with clients doing and athletes doing utmb or ccc heading over to it can tend to be quite big goals is there one kind of piece of advice you would kind of say to somebody who's like i've entered ccc this year because the entries have been open and people kind of know their places who have got an entry in utmb uh, as a coach, what would be your one kind of bit of nugget you'd say to them, right, this is what I'd really kind of focus on or this is where you want to be taking your training to? Uh, I think it's, it's it's trying to get a sense of what feels right on, on climbs and the sort of race. Then try and stick to that race pace plan from the start. No matter what everybody else is doing. <laughs> no matter what everyone else does. And, and that it will go off ridiculously fast. <laughs> so fix your plan and, and you will be rewarded by the end. You know, in the last third, where you, where you still feel okay rather than awful, um, you, you start to come through people and, and finish in a positive place rather than scraping to the end because you can brilliant yeah that's a great bit of advice yeah yeah i've just got to try and act that out now <laughs> <laughs> i think were we just saying that you kind of had had it from both sides at the utmb races you've had some good finishes but you've also had the dnfs as well yeah for, for me it's it's that risk reward um scenario but the more you do stuff you know you can complete it so you want to improve on your performance, and um, because the, it's the best, uh, most elite level there is, you're always trying to risk pushing a little bit too hard to get the best out of yourself, and then sometimes uh, you fall on the wrong side of the scales, and you know you blow up, or or something goes wrong, and so it ends in a DNF. So it's it's that sort of risk reward ratio. Um, depending on what your goal is at the race and is that reason why you've had some dnfs in the past on the race and why it's at 50 50 if you just kind of overcooked it just pushed it a little bit too hard would you say yeah. uh, yes two of them it's been pushing too hard and overcooking it and just getting it slightly wrong and then one was i shouldn't been on the start line i was injured before the start and thought I'd just go and enjoy it and soon realised after 70k that it wasn't going to work <laughs> yeah yeah it's, what I mean, it's so iconic you sometimes you don't make sensible decisions yeah and it, it is so iconic isn't it the atmosphere there um, is it, such an amazing it's like no other kind of race 
around there. But then you went, so you've done, you kind of got into CCC and then you got into a bit more of the UK scene as well, because I remember we had a bit of a, a run together in 2015 at the kind of Lakeland 50, which was the British Ultra Championships as well. Yeah, the 24th team, I think it was. Yeah, I think it might be. Was it 24? Okay. Because, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah it, was, it was billed as the, the British um, Trail Championships and it, it attracted um, a good field for the for the era. Um, and it was a, probably about five or six of us that were potential all for, for the win. Um, and I remember... Must have been five of us going out from the start, going pretty hard, and you know it was a really hot day as well, wasn't it? Really hot, really really hot, humid day. Um, Marcus took the. I've I've tried that last year. (laughs) Pace sensible this time. Yeah, Marcus had had a few more years' experience than you guys (laughs) that went off that quick. I think was it was I forty then? I think I might have turned the vet. I think it was one of my first or second ultras as a vet. So. And then, yeah. and but then, then Stu Mills I, was in I, the ones that went off, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. And then and by Mardale, I was like the last man standing, so not too far in. And I was just in my own own world. I think I even swam near Kentmere in, in the stream just to try and cool off. I think I um, saw you then, just coming into Kentmere. Yeah, I was at the checkpoint. Um, uh, and I think I was probably suffering a little bit towards Ambleside and slowing down. Luckily, I think I had a good feed and sought out a food at that point. So that when suddenly Marcus comes motoring up behind on the flat bit and chapel style and then tries to go straight past me at a million miles an hour, that I just like, like, heels hanging, hanging, hanging. <laughs> I was hanging just he was trying to push and push and drop me you know it's that game of cat and mouse and then then suddenly marcus started to get the cramp on one of the styles and that was like okay yeah um, yeah i i it's interesting um i think your blog and both my blogs about race we both are commenting about that kind of pace i think we were saying nearly six minute miling or something when i kind of caught you up and we were i think we didn't say it to each other, but writing out or reading our blogs, we were both one of us thinking, one of us is going to blow, one of us is going to, the wheels are going to come off at some point. And unfortunately, I was just maybe turning the screw a bit too much uh, and, and cooked it that bit too much and ended up losing you as you were climbing out from um, Dungeon Gill. But yeah, it was a it was a good battle, wasn't it? It was a good race. It was proper. It was, it was, it was proper racing. And It's a shame that nobody else sees that apart from you two because I saw you kind of a few miles later and had no idea what had happened between you two. I guess the only people that got a sense of it was suddenly that the guys in Chapel Star at the A <laughs> station where we both together and we're neck and neck and out at the same time and... Um, apart from that, it's only people on the screen seeing, oh, he's catching, he's in court, and then he's caught, <laughs> and, and wait and see what's next going to happen. But, um, yeah. It was, it was a race, um, and not quite the outcome for Marcus, but it was it was one for me. Yeah, um, it's, just, it's the joys of ultras, though. Yes, yeah. Um, some, sometimes you nail it, and, and, more, and sometimes you don't, like blowing up at... And DNFing at UTMB, so yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I think Danny Kendall summed it up really well because he came in third place in it because he dropped quite badly early on and then managed to pick up and like Martin Cox ended up falling, you know, DNFing. Um, there was a couple of other people. In fact, Damien Hall was, um, we might know of some ultra running now called Damien Hall. Um, he was almost just behind me when we was first going round our main loop. Oh, yeah, we got a fantastic photo of him in some really fetching ultra running kit. Um, Looked like he borrowed it from Pete. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lost property or something. Um, <laughs> Before his sponsored days. But like, yeah, Danny was commenting about how kind of fast it was and that at that pace, maybe only one or two was going to survive. He yeah, said, if eight of you go off that fast, you know only one of you is going to finish. <laughs> so, but that... Your, that result then meant also you were selected for your first GB vest as well. Yeah, um, with with that on my CV, it meant yeah getting the first uh, uh, vest for GB, and that was probably one of my proudest moments. Always is to wear wear your country's colours um, and go to a world championship. It was uh, kind of surreal a little bit, thinking, "Wow, I've got to this standard of." of trail running and and to go and race in Annecy on the world stage against some of the best runners in the world at the time was just an amazing experience um, and you know I had a really reasonable good race there I was in in, in some really good shape um, in, in probably my best 2015 was probably my fittest year other than perhaps last year um, and so you know, I didn't nail the race. Um, my finish down the last hill was I was fatigued and probably had pushed it a little too hard. Um, but I hung on for what was it about twentieth place, I think, um, and that was enough to help support the team to a bronze, which was, was you know being able to stand on that podium and um, and, and receive a medal is, is, is great. How did that championships compare to the adventure racing ones that you'd done? Was it kind of similar feelings or is the one that you're more proud of? Uh, I mean, the adventure races take you to a whole different level in terms of suffering. It's, it's, I guess it's equatable to doing the spine in the sense that long journey and you know you've really had to work to get to the finish line. Um and it was about being in a in a, in a good team to get to the world championships whereas this was slightly different because it was much more performance based in terms of it's 50 miles and your the duration in relative is is still all raceable and you're pushing very hard um and the fact that you've been selected for your country by the, a panel and um, that you've earned that performance um in a specific thought um you know it was it was a really proud moment in in a different way i mean going back to when you were like you say a teenager at tring running club you know doing that kind of it was tring running club wasn't it like that yeah um, was there ever that kind of inclination or desire to run internationally or was it like if somebody had said to you when you were that young, like, oh, Kim, you could end up getting a GB vest, would you just be like, oh, don't be so daft? Did you, or was there maybe that little seed ever in there inside? No, it was never really on the radar at all. It's, it's you know, one of those things that slowly creeps and creeps ever closer. Um, 
the more you do, the more experience you get, the better you get, the closer those goals become. Um, I guess it didn't really come onto the radar until, yeah, 2014, at that late in 50, that I was, you know, knew what the, the outcome could be. Um, and, and being a late district race and knowing the routes and, uh, and having that knowledge, it was, it was that opportunity. Um, that, I think that was the first time I really thought about it as, as potential. Maybe, maybe the year before in 2013, um, but still then it wasn't, oh, this is, this is what I could achieve. Yeah, excellent. Kind of talking about the, the Lakeland 50 and ties in with a bit Bob Graham, and we'll explore this a bit more. But um, Phil Haddock's kind of asked, um, what would be your three best tips for doing the Lakeland 50 and Bob Graham? Um, so you can kind of concise little kind of three tips for the, for the Lakeland. Uh, learn to hike well, because a lot of it is actually hiking up hills um, rather than, than running so the more you can practice and become efficient at hiking up hills um, as as the majority of the time is, is going uphill and then the, then uh, try and practice the downhill um, so you become more uh, adapt and comfortable and smooth running downhill you don't necessarily need to be uh, breakneck fell running fast but just so that your muscles are coping with the stresses of the downhill and then uh, train your, your stomach to, to, you know, so that you can eat um, and fuel, fuel the, the effort Brilliant, yeah great, three tips there. I hope those help Phil and if you're doing a Lakeland 50 good luck with the training or if you've got Bob Graham lined up and you want a good coach get in touch with Kim um, get you kind of set and ready to have a go at the Bob Graham. I'm sure you've got quite a few athletes you're working towards that race. So you went from so 2015 was your first GB vest. You had two GB vests, haven't you? You then got yeah, a second one. Uh, the second one didn't go so well. I DNF'd. Um, I fell probably in the first third just before the first aid station and came quite down quite heavily on um, like a hard track running, running downhill caught the toe just went and then it wasn't a, until uh, you know that, that accumulated and then the joints and everything out and then it wasn't until like the next aid station um, that it was just going backwards and you know, I wasn't running properly anymore uh, so it was like a, it was quite a disappointing uh, end really so the high of 2015 and then the, the doldrums of 2016. Um, and then then it was quite a, a tough couple of years with uh, overtraining and injury niggling. That's just wasn't sorting itself out. Um, uh, yeah, it wasn't until probably 2017 that I could start. Uh, late 2017, I started to get consistency back again. Did, did you and at re, the time? The goals. So, yeah. So did you recognise that it was the overtraining that was causing it, or were you in that kind of usual kind of running cycle of 
you know, oh, I'm a bit injured, but it's I'll keep pushing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's bad luck. Oh, I'll just push it again. I'll have a bit of time off and then end that kind of cycle. Phil says yeah, thanks for the tips, by the way. <laughs> it, it, was, it was more that, that uh, just in that cycle of overtraining and and going through that loop of, of not actually solving solving the problem. Mm-hmm. And, and it's more now in hindsight of recognizing it as a, as a coach and, and with reflection going, okay, that's what I was doing. And that's the nature of uh, being a type A athlete of a pusher constantly, you know, trying to get the best out of yourself and do more and more and more, um, that you go, okay, you finally got to the point where I needed to stop running start swimming and uh, my fix was actually a lot of strength training uh, to readjust and rebalance my, my muscles um, and then start building the running back in uh, and and now I recognize the points of a breakdown sooner and, and try and adjust the training to that yeah and that, that, that's great as a coach having experienced that yourself as well because then you'll see that in athletes as well and pass that on because I, I i think there is that real danger in ultra running with our, our, our egos that we kind of like you know that we're scared that if we do less that we're not going to be able to complete the races or the challenge we we set ourselves on. but sometimes less is more because we need the recovery don't we we need time off between races we can't keep putting big volume in every week yeah um, it, it, it's trying to recognise your weaknesses and 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 try and adjust to them, and uh, it's that blind spot that you have, and, and slowly you have to re- reflect on that. And the more experience you gain, uh, everything you start identifying those problems earlier. Um, I would say I'm still new to coaching, only a few years into the process, so it's a long journey to to mastery you know and it's that process of constant learning going okay actually how can i do the recovery better for my athletes and for myself to get the right training adaptions um you know it's it's that simple steve magnus stress plus rest equals growth um you know on a very simple and if we're not getting the rest we're not getting the growth so it's, it's trying to be remembering that However, you still need to do the hard work um, as well. Um, there's no shying away from that. Yeah, there's no shortcuts to fitness, is there, unfortunately? Um, but, but yeah, it's always that correct right level. Uh, and, and Joe, who's obviously tuned in this evening and is watching live, is, uh, it's an interesting convo, folks. I think that's how the cool kids talk, isn't it? <laughs> that's um, what the youth say. That's what the youth are saying <laughs> these, these days. Um, but a uh, little question here. What would you say are the key qualities to being a coach and an athlete? So it's kind of two, two questions there. Ooh. To put you on the spot, isn't it? That is put me on the spot there, Joe. <laughs> uh, uh, patience for both because uh, it takes time. You know, we were talking about that that journey to being a GV athlete. You know, it's it's, it's those small incremental steps. That it, it was a long process that to get to that that level and over years of years of building up endurance. Um, and, and and speed 
to, to be able to run for GB. Also, uh, as a coach, you've got to have a pa- oh, I've, I learned that skill as an outdoor instructor. You've got to be patient because you don't know what's going to be thrown at you and you've got to adjust. Um, thinking, think about problems and, and solutions, trying to work um, that maybe that your your solution is not someone else's. I think that's a key thing to think as a as a coach that n doesn't equal one. Um, so you, you don't get driven down that that avenue. Um, listening and and trying to so you, you can try and understand uh, your athletes and and listening to to your body. Oh, actually, what is it telling you? Um, and don't do the typical. Um, oh, it's okay. I'm going to ignore it. So there's a, there's a few. Brilliant. Excellent. There's, there's... Yeah. Great answer. Brilliant. Hope that answers your question there, there, Joe. Brilliant. So you have that period then in the wilderness sort of thing and that kind of did, did you ever feel you'd get back to the ultras was that desire there or did you then play a bit fell running because i remember you got on the front cover of the fell running magazine on the belder fell race you were kind of were you still playing around with fell running when you was in that kind of cycle of being broken or did you just literally take a complete step back yeah i mean it was a f- uh, i guess it wasn't so long there was a few, few months out of it you know before then i was going through a cycle of races and breaking and races and breaking and uh, and then then once I started to fix I would did put the racing back in and there were ultras uh, but I was just wasn't at the same performance level uh, it took a while to, to rebuild those fitness levels back up to um, you know what I was at my peak or getting close to that level um, and um, yeah um, but I was still mixing. I still like to mix the the short fell as key key training for the ultra. I find it's quite motivational for uh, hard workouts in a sense um, for me, um, rather than necessarily just focusing on that one one big ultra race and everything is in that that game. Um, I think that partly suits the the culture of, of fell running as that race 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 um and enjoy that experience of of competing um, uh over the years though that i've got i got more selective in the racing that i did do so it wouldn't be every week it'd be every three weeks or and, and try and pick the ones that had more importance that you wanted to really push hard for um, so there's a bit of wisdom there and and I guess COVID kind of shortened that into, well, let's, let's just train for one big goal thing that would, might happen eventually. <laughs> yeah. do, do, you have, do you have a favourite fell race? Uh, my favourite fell race uh, well, is, is my doorstep fell race. It's, it's Blencathra fell race. Because <laughs> uh, it's a brilliant midweek, eight mile race and... You know, I'd love going around that loop daily. <laughs> uh, was there a foul race? I just love the toughness of of it as an AL. Um, it is an ultra of a foul race, um, and it's just brilliant. Um, I think they're probably my two of my favourite. Brilliant, yeah. I, I mean, 
I have full admiration for fire runners because it's not like any other kind of discipline of, of running. You know, it's not like being a track runner or a road runner or a marathon runner because to be a top fire runner, you've got to be able to do a two mile short kind of Bonsall Hill fell race to then being able to do kind of four hours at Wasdale or Enadale or Borodale. You've got to be able to master that full range of distance and it's just unbelievable to see the athletes, you know, the guys at the top of the fell running game are just absolutely phenomenal just unbelievable and, and you've got to train a range, whole range of different aspects to to be good as you say you've got to have some endurance to be able to last the ALs and but you've still got to have a speed element to do the the two mile or the the, the short up and down races that uh, are like a part run um, intensity in a full full range in between and then you know for me it's then extending it to ultra and and pushing those 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 boundaries um and for, for me it's 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 transition trying to learn for me i could race up to 80k or uh, 50 miles and feel like it was just an extension of a a long fell race where beyond that going towards the 100 mile or it shifts to another gear that uh, a whole lot more of aspects of things that can go wrong if you try and race it hard can go wrong quickly mm. um, so that i kind of enjoyed that that aspect of, of we had days. a question um that came up just a little bit back about whether um can you find that one it's about your kind of mountain leader background coming into play for those. It's from Rich Simpson. He said that he was a mountain leader before getting into trail running and he found that background helped massively. Was it the same for you too? And would you recommend mountain knowledge to others? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's about confidence and being able to assess things in the, in, and risk manage in the mountains. So if you've got that um, outdoor mountain leader education you were taught about the basics of safety and 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 weather and, and being in the mountains you you're able to go okay what what kit do i need for the day you know what are those sounds uh, mountain judgment for joe um and and you know when to call it a day come off early or when to push through or I need to take my uh, micro spikes and ice axe today um, and, and so on and that, having that experience really helps to have that confidence to go and train for five or six hours in the mountains um, when it's not pleasant and you know in the middle of January it, it, it builds that up um, so definitely it's a, a good rope um, and, and confidence over rough terrain just just being able to cope with what the Lake District or Scotland or the Wales throws at you um, in on those steep fells. So what conditions did you have for your winter Bob Graham? Uh, two, two separate conditions. Yeah. The first one was in, in snow and I had microspot bikes on for 90% of the day and uh, it was wading and it was a full-on winter, winter Bob Graham in, in two conditions. And the second one for the record was uh, really, really cold, but still. And I mean, the hoar frost on the back of Blencathra was magnificent, but all the ground was frozen. So it was quite good, firm footing. 
we've we've uh, spiked shoes on, uh, so we made it quite quick running. You could deal with running in the dark. I mean, half of it was still in the dark, and and then when the sun did come up, it was a beautiful sunny blue sky day. Um, although it was only like for eight hours, it was perfect conditions for it. Yeah, we've got a photo of you coming up now, actually, which I think is on the final summit. I think it's on Robinson's yeah. summit. My arms up. I mean, yeah, um, you could have, you'd look at you posing away, stopping for the camera there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the record was well in, in doubt and, you know, I had time to spare. Um, so I was I was making most of that moment, which, which is a large part of running in the mountains for me is those awe moments of... Wow, this is this is awesome. Um, take it in. So you still get that in the Lake District, even though you've done however many runs um, in all conditions there. All the time. You know, every day is different. Every season. It's, it's those magic moments that that why I love running in the Lake District and running in the mountains is just for that. Um, yeah. The, the even in the worst conditions, you get that sense of satisfaction. Um, sometimes the worse, worse it is, the more alive you feel. Yeah, but you're really close to your house, though, so you can just nip back afterwards as well. <laughs> can we get but, on to the... Obviously, he's put oh. heating on because you're wearing your woolly hat, <laughs> so maybe it's not, not that warm in the house, I don't know. Or, or is it just for sponsors? Is it, ju- is it, is it just a bit of a kind uh, of like... I, I usually have more layers on in the house, you know. I usually have a damp jacket as well. You know, just, if I'm not moving, I'm... I'm cold. <laughs> so can we get on to the um, Lakeland 24-hour record? Like, when did that get on your radar? Um, I mean, it's been on the radar for several years in the sense of knowledge about it um, because helping Adam Perry on a couple of his uh, attempts at the record. Um, so I've always known about it, but it's always been his sort of uh, project and and it was one of those things that was uh, it's not possible for me it's a bit too far out of the, the remit so I guess I first thought about it was it was the next logical thing after the winter Bob Graham record because I thought well Killian's time that's that's not really <laughs> really feasible um, <laughs> why not <laughs> uh, so I did think about it uh, back then in, in December um, of 2019 but I, in the end I decided I was going to focus on a Paddy Buckley and a Ramsey to complete the big three and, and have those you know and cause I hadn't done those so that was going to be the goal for the, the spring and the summer before UTMB that was my big grand plan and then I was in a recce for the Paddy just, just before lockdown and then everything, everything changed. So it became a choice of, well, I'll, I'll keep training because something might happen in, in the summer. Uh, and I, I was still training for a paddy. Uh, and it wasn't until four weeks before that um, Wales wasn't still opening. And I had, well, access to the, the lakes. And it was, you know, you could travel and you could do stuff now that actually I thought well, I'm actually in really good shape now maybe maybe this is it if I don't go now I'm going to regret this not ha- having tried 
so it kind of went okay what do i need to know before the attempt and i know the bob graham like back of my hand from years of running on it and having done it a few times it was now how can i learn the few extra lines to the extra tops uh, to, to do it um, and that took a few reckies to get the extra legs like going down into langdale and back up to blisco and linking cold pike into into the scar fells um like uh doing the northern fells bit you know that was close to home so uh and and then uh, i did a confidence boosting run running that first leg and seeing what race pace felt like and on a heavy legs i still did it in in under mark cartel's time or equivalent to it so i thought I've got I've got race pace to start it. I've got endurance, so let's let's make it happen, and then organise the sport team to to help help it happen. So, so people probably have heard of the Bob Graham round because it's quite kind of a famous round, and a lot of runners aspire to it, especially um, after Rich Effer's book uh, Feet in the Cloud. So that's really quite now. What's the difference between that? And the Lakeland 24-hour, so anyone who's kind of tuning in, listening in, going, well, what, what is it? Because, I mean, a 24-hour running record, isn't it? You know, where you run so far for 24 hours. What, what is the difference between the Lakeland 24 hours? Because the Bob Graham, you have to complete within 24 hours, don't you, if you want to be part of the club. Um, what's, what would you say the difference between the two are then? Well, the, the Bob Graham was the 24-hour record at one stage when Bob Graham did it. Uh, um, and then people started to extend the Bob Graham, seeing how many tops they could add into the 24-hour record. Um, and, you know, in the history goes back before the, the Bob Graham um, for the 24-hour record. And Peter McDonald's done a really good website now with all the history of it that I think I shared earlier on Twitter. Um, and it's on the Bob Graham Club Facebook page. And you can read all about it there. Um, but it extended over the years of uh, how many more tops can you add onto the Bob Graham. And then it got to a point where Joss Naylor did uh, 75. Um, and that, that was fought as the uh, unbreakable record at that point. I think the history goes that about five people had attempts at it and got nowhere near close. Um, I think even Billy Bland had a go, half-hearted go at it once and stopped halfway round, um, according to the notes. And and then eventually Mark McDermott, uh, it was quite controversial at the time because he'd done a spreadsheet and really recorded it and, and made it his A goal and put everything into it um, and made it up to 76, um, 76 tops. Um, from oh, sorry, from '72, I think it was with Joss, um, and and that was like, well, did he really do it or did he not? And it was like, how's this guy come and, and done it? And then, uh, and then at that point, the the rules were kind of stipulated that to add extra tops, they had to be a certain distance and a certain height gain, um, and certain drop to be able to add extra tops. So it made it even harder to add further tops onto the records. So then Mark Cartel added Cat's Cam onto the already 
round. Um, so by the point I got to do it, to add an extra top, next logical ones were either Fleetwood Pike or Haycock. Um, and to do that, it's about uh, doing a Bob Graham and a half in 24 hours. So I think I measured it up, well, my GPS measured it as 12,000 meters of ascent and 96 miles. Uh, so you, you've got to be shifting in sub 16 hour Bob Graham pace. Um, I'm just, just sharing the map of the route, so, which people might be able to see. Um, it's an impressive. Uh, does it have the same start and finish as the Bob Graham, or can uh, you start and finish it anywhere on that route? No, it has to be around, so you've got to start and finish at any uh, point. Originally, you know, at some points, some did start at Moot Hall and finish at the Moot Hall. Then in the, um, I think the, they did go from Grasmere at one point, but Mark McDermott decided that the best point to start at was Braithwaite, so he ran the road while he was fresh to get onto Skidor, um, and then finish off the northern, northwestern fells, running downhill um, into the, the finish. And since then, everyone else has replicated or attempted, they've attempted it, has done it from there. Um, and it makes sense to me as well. Um, you, what other stipulations? So one of the stipulations is that you're doing the same tops, isn't it, as the previous record holder, and then? As the previous record holder, then either do it quicker or add one. So (laughs) you know that what you've done is consistent with the previous record holder, and and or better. So you know it's comparative, which which I think it's important. You know, it's like doing the same ultra course or same fell records. You know. Where your time stacks up or in, in history don't you yeah yeah definitely and, and so going into it you said you know you'd seen adam doing this and we think we've all kind of followed adams because he had several attempts at it didn't he and it was really quite heartbreaking to watch sometimes he got really close to it and then was kind of thwarted by the weather or other things so you'd kind of set this plan and you'd sorted your route out how, how was your your kind of mindset going into the into the challenge was it different than when you did the bob graham or the winter bob graham or was it a similar sort of kind of mindset going into it yeah very very similar um in a sense that i was going it to race it both both rather than complete i was i was there for getting the best out of myself possible and the difference with the winter Bob Graham is uh, I, I knew with the right conditions that it was a very realistic possibility that I could uh, beat Jim's time um, and just that I knew if I went hard so I didn't I, I don't think I got my optimum run at the winter Bob Graham round I think there's there's some sections where I felt I didn't need to push as hard to get the best result because um, I was up on, on splits and doing well. Whereas whereas the 24, uh, you know, with Adam's several failures, I knew that it was uh, a chance that it would be would end in, in failure. Um, and that was part of the excitement of it. It was that, can it, can it not? Um, so, so I knew that I needed to uh, uh, go for it or not at all, you know. It's, it was... Uh, 
everything go bust type type run. Um, but being being controlled with that, I think the difference between this and the race was it's only you that's you've got to control your factors. You're not racing someone else, so you you can really hone in to how you're feeling and adjust the pace to. Uh, I, I think I guess I went for it almost on Billy Band style of run to feel um, and, and go for it, and, and that's that's what it did, and it kind of kind of paid off just about. And when did you know that you had a, the record? Or the, um, was it near the end, or did you feel confident from the off how things were going? Uh, I guess the when you're up on splits, it breeds confidence. In, in your that you're feeling good when when you run leg round one feel good really good and you're up by a handful of minutes and then going into two and you you still pick up more time and then then you think okay okay have I gone too quick now am I going to blow up that tactically and then you just keep pushing I know you know I was then growing in confidence I got to Langdale and thought okay I still feel good I you know, I'm getting tired and fatigued. Um, I was able to, you know, I thought the key, key leg was out of Langdale into Wasdale. If you can get over those high fails and then not be losing at that point, and I was, I was kind of holding steady uh, and, and picking up minutes here and there, you know, I got to Wasdale and, you know, you, you're up on time. You know, I knew that I had that opportunity to add the top and, and, and that gives you that confidence. From from that point on, there I was starting to suffer, and and up you barrow was was awful. I mean, I was trudging away and feeling nauseous and having to focus on eating. Um, and so at that point, I decided not to add Haycock. That was my plan A. To go right, Haycock's plan. I, I like that run to Haycock and back. But then when you're on red pipe, not feeling great, and you're looking at Haycock in the distance, thinking that looks like a big hill, you do that and go for Fleetwood Pike, and I go, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> um, uh, and, and part of that was because I've got more time to make a decision on, on the extra top. Uh, and, uh, you know, like ultra running, if you hang in there, if you start fueling and get the food in, you, you start to come back again and you feel good. And, and that's what happened. And, the rest of that leg, I was starting to pick time up again. So you, you stand on grey knots and go, yeah, let's do it. Uh, so I kind of, you, you, when you get down to Honister and you're up on time on Mark Cartel's time, he was there and you've got the extra top, you know it, it's on here. You think, uh, yes, I'm not in a great state, but I've got time in the bag. And and there's still his buffer of 15 minutes or 13 minutes before the 24 hour up to play with. Uh, unfortunately, at that stage, everything went really, really quite tough. It was a real mental barrier against stomach, against nausea, against not moving quick enough to actually, yes, I can move quick enough. And, and that whole uh, inner turmoil of an end of an ultra when you're you're on the edge um, and then when darkness fell the the mist came down on Crag Hill and the, you know, had one meter visibility trying to rely on the paces to navigate you the optimum lines and see where you put your feet and knowing that 
minutes are starting to disappear. Um, and so it was, you know, you start doing the mental arithmetic a few tops out. Have I got enough in the bag? And can I do it? And you start to realize just got to keep ticking through and you'll, you'll get there. And it wasn't until top of Grisdale Pike that I knew that I knew it was going to happen barring disaster. And in that euphoria of running off, off there to the finish was, it just grew and grew to the end. It was, it was amazing at that finish. You know, that photo of me. We've just put end. that up now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just pure happiness in that face. <laughs> And that was that one moment that you you live for um, and, and train for. It was, it was brilliant to do that. Right. I mean, interesting talking about your stomach going. So, I mean, one of the questions we had was like nutrition. So we always, you know, people are always asking when they're training for a Bob Graham or preparing for a Bob Graham, you know, what shall I eat? What kind of food? So what was your kind of nutrition strategy or what did you have kind of planned out to eat? And was it, were you kind of doing what you'd normally do for a, an ultra marathon or... Uh, Bob Graham. Yeah, so I've kind of aimed for a trained, was training my uh, body to try and cope with about 300 uh, calories an hour um, and then breaking that down into 20 minute blocks, trying to get 100 in every 20 minutes uh, and just just to keep on top of that, that tank of fuel because I was pushing at quite a high intensity early on. I needed to be replacing that that energy demand, and kind of early on at that stage, I kind of go for a two to one ratio of two sort of quick sugary, uh, like either gels or um, uh, goo sweets, so, and, and then one sort of solid food um, that gives the, the slower release carbs, and then. As the event went on, I tried to institute more, or like reverse it into more um, solid foods, like a bit of pizza or um, crisps or things that take longer to break down and, and give you that sort of um, slower release carb um, element to it. Uh, I did use a couple of uh, long haul um, pouches as well, trying to add that supplement of. Um, sultry, savoury food that was easily digestible. Uh, I think my main issue was actually, in the end, was drinking too much because it wasn't as hot a day as for a July. It was quite cool, which which made for good running and good pushing. But I was drinking too much and probably not quite getting enough uh, sodium for what I was drinking so it ended up being slightly overhydrated and and uh, so that was affecting so to try and address that it was uh, getting some crisps in to try and rebalance that and, and reduce the intake of hydration but then it just gets that that point of I've eaten a lot of calories and a lot of food and uh, I'm not moving as quick anymore, and and everything back starts to backfire a little bit. It's, 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 it was a fine balance for me. So do you, do you tend to have like a set kind of food you eat on these runs, and or do you always modify it depending on the kind of race or challenge that you're doing? No, no I, I modify it to 
the the challenge and the the conditions. So in in midwinter, I would uh, like on the last um, steep par winter event that I tried, I was eating much more solid food, more, more wraps, more uh, things that I made, more pizza and less less of the sweet um, energy uh, as as my intensity was lower and it was colder and, and that's easier to digest i didn't need as much blood flow going elsewhere um, whereas if it's hot then i um, have gone for a liquid more uh, type uh, in mountain fuel um liquid fuel as a as a source of adding in extra energy it's just depending on the the conditions um, and what i'm what I've been trying out to work for me, um, but I do try and get a a core set of things that I know work for me. That gives me that bit of uh, savoury, a bit of saltiness, a bit of slow release carb, and a bit of quick release um, carb as well to try and mix what works for me um, to balance that off. Is there anything though that that Kim Collinson goes for in those dark moments in a race. Is there like anything, you know, in case of emergency break glass, this is what I'm 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 gonna have, or does it just tend to be whatever you've kind of brought along for the race? Uh, I guess uh salt and vinegar crisps are generally a, a good winner for, for me. <laughs> and any brand you want to plug and we'll see if we can get a sponsorship deal for you on I tried Seabrooks for years, but they never listened, so I'm (laughs) grudgingly by them. So now you've had quite a bit of time kind of reflecting on that uh, record. Is there anything kind of left unfinished you think that could go quicker with the right conditions? Because you didn't have like particularly super dry conditions, I don't think, when you did it. Or do you think that top, uh, extra top is there? Is Fleetworth still there? (laughs) I think, uh, I mean... I think there is an extra top there. I mean, for the right person on the right day, I generally believe that. Um, I think my splits show that someone goes equally as quick and doesn't play as much in the last bit. There's there's spectrum to add Haycock. I mean, it would be maybe taking it down more to the wire. I had 15 minutes spare um, when I finished and I was fading on that last, probably from the top of Robinson onwards. So... There's, there is 25, 30 minutes to add that top if, if you get it right. Um, so well, is that something that you might look at at some point, uh, or do you feel like uh, that's that's you done on that unless somebody comes up and? <laughs> I've invested myself fully into that uh, process of getting into the shape I was uh, to be able to run that fast and to push it. Uh, I think. I wouldn't be as motivated to go back and add a top. I think it will take someone else to do that. It's it, got that equal motivation. It, it, interestingly, um, talking about kit, there's a great picture of you and the amazing Steve Birkinshaw going up. I think, it, is it coming out of Rays Rays? Um, going up to... Uh, and, um, and and as a fell runner, well, I know you, you use these in the outs as well, but you're using, you're using poles in the lakes. Um, is this something like if somebody's attempting a BG would you kind of go because I noticed like 
Beth, when she Beth Pascal did her um, Bob Graham when she broke the women's record, she used poles as well. And in the foul running, they're a bit of a touchy subject, aren't they? Should you be using poles? Should you not be using poles? Well, I oh, clearly my, my view is, is is in that picture. <laughs> <laughs> the the thing that help with uh, propulsion up up the hill, or they help with uh, I think the, the changing of the muscles. So they give, give able you're able to use your muscles slightly differently using poles, um, so that actually the fatigue is less on on other places. So uh, I think it's a key thing. You know, you look at ultras in the Alps, and mo- a lot of Europeans use them, and the number of people use them is kind of shows why you know it, it works, it helpful. So. It's still other people would like to be more traditionalist and won't use fells and it's not part of fell running. Um, that's not my view. Um, and I'm quite happy to use them. Um, did I you, wouldn't did... use them in a fell race. I'd love to see you turn up at a fell race. That <laughs> next picture of you on the front cover of the FRA doing Borodale with a pole. But did you use them whole weight for the whole way round? And even like going over at Bowfell and up on Scarfell Range, were you using the poles the whole time there? Or did you ever kind of put them away on some of that rocky technical ground? Um, no, pretty much any uphill I was using them. Um, any flat or downhill I'd handed them over to, to my paces. Um, to to help with with that process, um, yeah. Joe's, oh, uh, Joe's just asked about the paces. It was really about the decision making, and were you calling the shots as which extra um, top you went on, or were the paces getting involved? And I suppose that's something that I quite like to ask. Like you talk about that internal, that well, that dialogue of like, oh, it's all going to the wire. Are you just calm and collected, or were you relying a lot on your paces to keep your head in it then? Uh, I think it was a changing picture. I think uh, a large part of the it was selecting and getting the right people for the right legs that you had confidence in. Um, I, you know, for the first leg, you, you've got to have someone that can run pretty fast over the fells for uh, four hours. Um, so you, you, you're down to a handful of the runners when I'm fresh and tapered and, and going for it. Um, and then, then using, uh, you know, having Adam on leg two with his knowledge of the route, just just add, helped me save time. You know, just his knowledge, not over the years that he's accumulated to get from uh, Great Rig Man round to um, Seat Sandal and that traverse. Just just being able to switch off and following those footsteps makes a huge amount of. Uh, energy saving just you able to consciously think switch off and not know where the lines are just follow feet Um, so those are important then later on it's having was having people that you could trust and rely on for for navigation in the dark um, that don't necessarily need to be the fastest runners because you're now moving at a relatively slower pace after 24 hours that someone with fresh legs can easily keep up um, and that you know that can navigate that have the conditions that have been over it that that know you know you really well so you know having a fellow uh, out of bound instructors um, on, on that leg that I'd worked with for uh, various stages in 
that you know I had Adam who was definitely the enforcer and you know an ability to push me and shout at me and say you know come on you need to push um, and then having someone being reassuring and going come on you can do it and, and <laughs> on navigation Matt was out front just making sure that you know I could follow him and I trusted that process uh, so having the right people uh, it really helps um, and and I think part of it is, is sharing as well what you might be like and how what you need as, as a you know some people really need uh, to be pushed others need encouragement and uh, it's just knowing what you need and sharing that and that all that oh I will go quiet I will go into my own hole or just be focused on moving it's okay if I'm not talking you can talk at me but you won't get much back sort of <laughs> <laughs> just offer you some crisps as well yeah on the last few legs i was definitely in that place every energy was in in movement forwards and at the hardest effort i could manage <laughs> so do, do, i mean that's quite a common place to end up in an ultra marathon isn't it, in these kinds of so do you have a mantra or a phrase or is there something any kind of mindset you take yourself into when you're or are you just literally just withdrawn and focusing on that one moment uh, there is, I guess, mantras wise, uh, they vary. I've had, I've used different mantras um, to help me, uh, or not, or to keep keep strong and keep focused. I think what came me, uh, what was I saying? I, I was shouting out, um, "You're strong." I think, I, yeah, or. At the end, I think it was you, you're strong. If I remember it right, someone will correct me. <laughs> you can't remember anyway. Yeah. It's like some new Tourette's in the background. I was actually verbalising and shouting it and uh, out to to help me pick up the pace. Mm-hmm. You know, when I dropped and I was slowing, if I, when I verbalised it, shouted, I would pick up and I'd get stronger and I'd be able to push more. So, yeah, in a way, I was using mantras. Um, and I think they are important and they kind of help and, and attaching sometimes attaching meaning to them uh, what helped for me is was the end goal I was you know up on splits and you know focused towards that one one achievement yeah, so there's that bit of extrinsic there as well yeah yeah and, I mean Jim Wormsley when he was doing the, the 100k at the weekend as frustrating it was to see that he missed it by that he was shouting himself you could hear him just kind of shouting out and it's amazing how that just <laughs> kind of picks you up boosts you that little bit just verbalising or even just some grunting Have you spoken to Mark Artel at all after the record and because I mean it's a pretty long standing record that he had there and I wondered if he you'd chatted to him at all about it so I haven't spoken to him in person yet, um, but he wished me luck before the event and congratulated me afterwards. Um, and hopefully, in October, if we get to a Bob Graham dinner, uh, hopefully he'll come across and we'll get to, you know, hand over the presidency and, and talk about it and, and and share our experiences. And that that would be great to be able to do that. Um, pandemic allowing 
that's the yeah, proviso for everything at the moment isn't it <laughs> yeah brilliant look we've been chatting for an hour and a quarter over it already um, oh yes we've just got kind of so there's always this kind of so you've done the, the Lakeland 24-hour record and there's always kind of what next and and Chris Marrett has kind of got, got a question maybe we can post and, and post to you as well maybe so he's asked a question what about Paul Tioni's record for the 214 Wainwrights is that on your radar? Uh, I think this is, this is a rumour that's following you for quite a while now, isn't it? I know Ian Corliss asked you this on his podcast too. <laughs> it's, it is, it is, and it's. And if you if you read the um, the Fell Runner with all the articles of the FKTs last summer, there's a little paragraph just below my bit in it that goes through all Martin Stone's thing that that mentions the last person to hold the. The Pennine Way, the Wainwrights, and the 24-hour record was Joss Naylor, and you know that—that's it. Um, and I think I got a—I uh, did. I got a text message from Matt Neal uh, <laughs> implying that as well. So you know, it's, it's like, go on, push, push, push. Um, <laughs> it's fate. It's, you don't have you know, any choice. <laughs> it grows. You know, what? What's the next big challenge? Um, it's not this year. Um, if we're still in lockdown next year, then maybe you'll have time to train. <laughs> yes, maybe next. Or, or if uh, UTMB doesn't happen in um, September, um, then, oh, you know, um, maybe, maybe the autumn. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, there's a couple other people we possibly going for it this year. Um, Sabrina again, I imagine, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Mr. Kelly himself would um, be going for it at all. Um, you know, what do you do after the grand round? Um, I think that, that would be more logical for him than, than me at the moment. Yeah, brilliant. I, don't know. I, I, I think it. it takes somebody living in the lakes to give that one a go. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, because you've got to know all the like, like you're saying with Adam Perry knowing all the lines, and it's saying when you're doing any Bob Graham pacing, you, you rely on people with that local knowledge. You've got, you need to know some of the lines. You need to know some of that lay of the land. Um, I think it does help with having a bit of that Lakeland knowledge. <laughs> so we're backing you. Again. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> there's no races and, and that might not be the only thing you're I'm not allowed out of Cumbria we're going to yeah. put you in there fantastic well it's been absolutely fantastic chat and wonderful chatting yeah, to you yeah thank you evening. so much thank you for your time this evening I'm just going to kind of bring us all back together um if you've enjoyed this podcast, make sure you tune in next week. Uh, you can listen to it on as a podcast. I kind of jumped ahead there a, a little bit. Um, next week, we're geeking out, aren't we? Yeah, we're going for heart rate training stats. <laughs> so we're going to get our, our geek on there. So come along and listen to that one. Kim, as a, as a coach, find out a bit more about using some heart rate training as well. But thank you all for those who have been with us live tonight uh, we will be here again next week 6.30 Wednesday evening we apologise for Sherlock snoring as well if you've heard some background <laughs> noise in. Um, at least he's not been kind of jumping around like last week um, but stay safe everybody keep running keep um, yourself moving and yeah look after yourself keep dreaming after that inspiration <laughs> yeah definitely yeah and if you want to know and get some coaching tips from Kim his uh, website links down below 
Uh, you can hook up with him if you want some help preparing for Bob Graham. I'm sure he's the man who can get you in tip-top shape for doing it. So thank you again, Kim, for joining us. It's been a fantastic time. We've learned so much and found so much out about you as well. So thank you for letting us probe you and get into your ultra running. Not in that kind of sense. We're not going double entendre. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Kim. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Thank you very much. Bye. Hi, it's Claire here. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. These live chats take place every Wednesday evening at 6.30pm UK time on World Ginger Running YouTube channel. And the link is in the show notes. I just wanted to let you know that you can find this and loads more advice and inspiration and gear tests all about trail and ultra running on my YouTube channel, Wild Ginger Running. There are training tips, advice from elite athletes, top coaches, nutritious recipes, key exercises, injury prevention information, and tons of trail kit reviewed from running packs to poles, waterproofs to head torches, GPS watches, and shoes, 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 and did I mention shoes? I've been going for a few years now, so there's a huge archive of content to help you out with your trail and ultra running. To quickly and easily find the information you need, simply type your query into the Google search box and then write wild ginger running after it. Then Google will show you whatever blog posts or films I have on that topic. Give it a try. And if you appreciate listening and all the information I share on YouTube, you're also very welcome to support me on Patreon, which gets you some additional excellent perks and the chance to win some awesome prizes. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee every month, patrons get discounts, extra films, access to the exclusive Facebook and Strava groups, the chance to ask questions to every live chat guest, plus automatic entry into my monthly competition to win £400 worth of trail and ultra running gear. There are only about 150 patrons, so the odds on a win are way better than the lottery. Interested? Find me at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Thanks for listening, guys. Have fun, enjoy your run, and I'll see you on the trails.